I'm so glad to uh, see you this morning. I'm uh, taking Pastor Jay's place today. He and his family are in Memphis area with, with his, uh, Jay's family, and we are, want them to have a safe trip as they return home this week. Um, you know, this is uh, sort of that in-between Sunday, that time where, uh, where we, we can look back if we want to to 2013, but we really ought to be looking forward to 2014. Um, I want. I've got some things just to share with you today from my heart. I'm actually. Uh, I, I enjoy writing. You all know that. Uh, I'm. I'm in the. I'm halfway through a book that I'm in uh, writing that has to do with the life of my my father. Uh, an incredible story of his life. He's a hero to me and to many others. And I'm about halfway through that one, but I'm always working on something else. And I've got another one in the incubator working, and so. Um, I'm going to be taking something from that book, that second one that I'm working on today. Uh, I'm, I'm writing a book called My Best Advice. And I know that sounds sort of crazy that I would say that, My Best Advice, because really there's nothing new under the sun and everything I'm going to advise people, God said something about. In fact, he's like started it. But, but, but I do, you know, I'm, I'm writing this book because I want to write something very practical um, to help people just walk and live their Christian life. And uh, I've got about 21 points of which I'm not doing 21 today, just five. I just picked five that I thought the Lord would have us deal with in the, in the year, preparing for the year 2014. So I want to give you these. These are, these are very important to me. Uh, you might, if, if you hang around here, you might hear all 21 eventually in something that I teach because I, I like to... Uh, let things ruminate in my heart and, and, and come out my mouth before I try to put them on paper all the time. So we're going to begin today. I'm going to give you five things that I think in the year 2014 could change your life if you took this advice. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a sage because I'm not. I'm not a sage. I, I have been here 36 years. By the way, I have been here 36 years, two weeks, and six days. That's how, that's how long I've been at Kingwood Church. And I love it here. This is home. I love this body of believers. I could not imagine myself anywhere else. And so some of these things I have learned, not because I have searched the Scriptures and found great truths and now I'm doing them. Some of the times I didn't search the Scriptures and I found out these things the hard way by not doing them. And, uh, and, and maybe with working with people for for years, I, I found out some of these things. I know this, the things I want to share with you, I did not know when I was a youth pastor. So I'm just trying to give you a little heads up on this, okay? Uh, let's go with number one. Number one, here's my advice. Be an aggressive forgiver. Let me say that again. Be an aggressive forgiver. You know, I, I can... Uh, I can just open up any kind of magazine or psychology book or whatever and find out that there are people filled with everything from rage to shame. And do you know unforgiveness has a lot to do with both of those? In fact, rage, quarrels, dysfunction in families, shame, suicide, all of those things often find their root in this thing called unforgiveness. The inability of some people to forgive. Um, years ago, 
we got the little series called uh, Pride and Prejudice. You know, I have two daughters, and uh, that, was a, that was a really big deal, and they watch it often. And uh, it's still at my house, and every once in a while, Peggy and I will pull it out and watch it. It was really, really good. It's, a, of course, an old, old book um, written about England in the 19th century, early 19th century, and about the, the, uh, the s- different levels of society and how they had uh, pride and prejudice involved in the way they treated people. But there was one character, and I, I always remember what he said, one character um, who, Mr. Darcy, who the first time that the main character, Lizzie, met him, uh, he made a statement that just really threw her. He said, my good opinion, once lost, is forever lost. In other words, if I develop an opinion about you, I'm never going to change my opinion about you. That is awful. And if you watch that movie, you find out it got him in all kind of mess, all kind of trouble. God has called us to be able to change. And part of what we can change is the part of us that can forgive. I want to read to you something that Jesus said. Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now let me, let me tell you how powerful that is. It's sort of like the sequester that Congress did. If this doesn't happen, then this won't happen. This is a spiritual sequester. If you're going to ask God to forgive your sins and you don't forgive other people's sins, your sins will not be forgiven. That's just the way Jesus worked it out. There's a motivation, there's a carrot on a stick that says, if you want to be forgiven, you better forgive other people. That's why a lot of people, when they, when they get old, they start thinking about all the people in their life that they've wronged. They, they realize, hey, my, my time may be right around the corner, and they start finding ways to reconnect with those people and ask forgiveness. Because I think they see that as not just good advice, but eternal reality. Um, there's a guy, his name is Louis Smedes. And he said this, this is incredible. He said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. My favorite quote from Nelson Mandela, who just recently passed away in South Africa, was this. Incredible. And his life exemplified this. He he, he could say this. He, he, He did it the right way. He said, unforgiveness... It's like drinking poison and hoping it kills someone else. That is so true. Any of you that might have been involved in in deliverance ministry of any kind know that one of the most most, um, stubborn spirits that someone has to be delivered from is unforgiveness. Oftentimes that takes, Mike, I know this is true with me and you as well, often that takes the longest for people to work through and to be able to say, I forgive. And sometimes people refuse to do it. 
And it becomes the thing that binds them the most. When Jesus said, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, he didn't say if they deserve it. <laughs> Did you notice? There is nothing he said that said if you deserve it. In fact, he exemplified that on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He did not say, Father, if they repent, forgive them. Now, on the cross, Jesus was not declaring that God was forgiving them at the moment. He was declaring he had forgiven them. and They didn't even deserve it. In my opinion, they did know what they were doing. They didn't deserve it. But Jesus said, forgiveness is not something people deserve. Forgiveness is something that you must give freely so that you yourself will be forgiven. Um, when, I, when I wrote this, I said, be an aggressive forgiver. Now think about that. That's the key word there. Aggressive. Aggressive forgiver. Now, an aggressive dog is a dog that looks for somebody to bite. An aggressive, uh, an aggressive football player is someone who looks for somebody to tackle and hurt. What is an, ag an aggressive forgiver? That's someone that actually looks for ways to let things go and to forgive people. Some of you might be familiar with Corey Ten Boom and her story. Uh, you know, it's amazing. How, how many of you are familiar with Corey Ten Boom? Wow, it's not even half. Uh, back in the, I guess, probably 1970s and early 80s, the, the story of Corey Ten Boom was a huge one among Christians. She and her family were... In, the, in Holland, they were Dutch people, and during World War II, they felt the right thing to do was to hide Jewish people who were being hunted down by the Gestapo, the Nazi Gestapo, and put them in a hiding place in their house while they could be smuggled out of the country. Well, somebody discovered them and turned them in, and they were arrested, the entire family. Corey and her sister Betsy were placed in the Ravensbrück concentration camp for years. And they were mistreated and abused unbelievably. It was awful what they went through. In fact, Betsy died there, Corey's older sister. She died there in Ravensbrück. I remember in watching, there was a film by that title called The Hiding Place. And um, in the film, I'll never forget it, in the, in the film there was a, there was a, a Nazi lady, mean lady, who was, uh, they were taking cups of, of insecticide and dumping it on people's heads to try to kill the lice. And because everybody was, was struggling with that and the, the, the prisoners were lined up and she would just take the metal cup and crash it on their head and let some of the insecticide uh, get on their head and then, of course, leave a lump on their head as well from the metal cup and move them on down. And I remember... I remember there was sort of a sigh in the movie theater when Betsy came up and the lady got it and hit her head with it and Betsy said, thank you. Thank you? You say thank you to a Nazi concentration guard 
who has physically and every other way abused you? You say, thank you? She did. And everybody just, they didn't know what to say. Didn't know what to do. Corey remembered that because she couldn't say thank you. After the war, and by the way, she was miraculously set free through a clerical error. She was set free and got out of that concentration camp. Later on, actually in the 1960s, a good 15 to 20 years after the war, Corey began to realize how much she hated those people at that concentration camp, men and women. And uh, there was one guard in particular, one uh, senior guard, a man who had abused her specifically in ways that we won't tell. And God spoke to her and told her to forgive him. Well, she thought, well, I've got to forgive him or my sins won't be forgiven. So she did the prayer and then God said, find him and forgive him. Now that's asking a little much, you know. Come on. Find the guy that abused you and go forgive him. And do you know that through a series of strange turns, she was able to locate the house where this former Nazi guard lived. She went to his door. She knocked on the door. And she said with everything in her, she wanted to kill him as soon as he opened the door. And yet she was an aggressive forgiver. She actually sought him out. When the door opened, she said the love of Jesus Christ poured over her. And she looked at him knowing that he recognized her. And she said, I forgive you. She led their entire family to Jesus. Their entire family came to Christ. Now, folks, that is an aggressive forgiver. I want to challenge you this year to be an aggressive forgiver. Some of you right now are fighting this. You're going, yeah, but that doesn't mean I have to, I have to like them. Uh, I just want you to forgive them. But you can't forgive them with a fist. And you can't forgive them. Say, oh, I forgive them, but if they ever cross my path, I'm going to punch them. But that's not called forgiveness. Now, I know there are some practical things involved. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to become best buddies with somebody that, that, um, that there's a history of those kinds of things. That's not the issue. But you've got to forgive. And in Jesus' name, I want to encourage you. My best advice in 2014, be an aggressive forgiver. And start it right now. Start it today. Okay. This one you're going to agree with quickly. Number two, pray more. Duh. Isn't that what we always hear? Isn't that what we always have to do? Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Listen to this. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. Folks, that's a promise. That is a promise. Pray more. Billy Graham, who you know is in his 90s, was asked not long ago what he would do different over his 
40-some-odd years of ministry, and he said, and that was public ministry, he said, I would travel less, preach less, and pray more. Now, Billy Graham could attract thousands and thousands of people all over the world, and he said, I would do that less, I would have less crusades, and I would pray more. In history, there was an incredible person, you may not have heard of him, you've heard of the, the people in the Great Awakening that, that drew the crowds like George Whitfield and John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards. But have you heard of a guy named David Brainerd? David Brainerd was this regular old guy. He, he actually wasn't even a good speaker. Uh, not at all. He, he was very boring. But he, he absolutely had a heart to win the Indians, the Narragansett Indians in uh, in the Massachusetts colony back in the colonial times. And in that day and time, there were no missions to the Indians in, that, in, in Massachusetts. Here's why. The, the early residents there, the pilgrims, the, the Puritans there, they were Calvinists. Now, Calvinists believe that you're either born to be saved or born to go to hell. And if you're going to get saved, you'll get saved. And if you're going to go to hell, you'll go to hell. And so there wasn't a whole lot of missions work going on among them. It was like, well, if the Indians know where we are, if they want to come to church, they can come on. They wouldn't turn them away, but none of them showed up. Well, David Brainerd didn't like that idea. David Brainerd said, I feel like we're supposed to go to the Indians. And Jonathan Edwards, who was the guy that preached the great sermons in the Great Awakening, I mean the big ones, Jonathan Edwards said, no, 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 no. God will send them to us if he wants them to be saved. Because they were pretty, uh, pretty crazy out there. Well... David Brainerd said, that's not how it goes. David Brainerd became just a prayer warrior, prayed about it, prayed about it. And finally, he told Jonathan Edwards, who, by the way, was his father-in-law, he told Jonathan Edwards, I'm going. And he went to a village, and when he got to the village, he didn't know what to do because he didn't speak their language. He just said God told him to go to the village. He got on his knees in the snow and prayed and prayed until the snow melted around him. And he prayed, and he prayed. And he prayed. And finally, the Indians came out to see what in the world this guy was doing. And the power of God was so strong on him, they brought him into the village. And through sign language, he let them know what, that he was there to talk about God. I don't know how that went across. Finally, somebody that's a traitor and actually a Frenchman who spoke their language and English, came in and translated, and the entire village came to Christ. It wasn't because he knew the language, and it wasn't even because of the French uh, fur trader. It was because of prayer. The Holy Spirit had already spoken before he ever spoke. Pray more. Prayer is to be a lifestyle for us. Uh, it's a prayer habit. It's a prayer habit. Think about that. Think about prayer as a habit. It's a great one to have, by the way. Think about prayer as a habit. Now, when it, so when I say pray more, that is the word more is relative to what you're doing now. So, you know, if you're like one of those hour-a-day prayers, then I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that pray more. <laughs> and if you're one of those prayer people that most of the prayers that you pray are over the meal uh, 
on Sundays. Or perhaps, oh God, help me when I get, when, when my checkbook is not matching with the funds. Or maybe the, the limit of prayer you have is praying your football team wins. A lot of people pray on Saturdays in Alabama. The state of Alabama is full of praying folks on Saturday afternoons. It's relative to your situation. I just say pray more. How about pray more? And, and I know it involves, some of it involves just the time that you spend praying. If you used to pray in 30 seconds, try a minute. If you're used to two hours, try three. I think one of the best things is to have a prayer list. I'm serious. I'm just going to be real practical with you. Write down on a real nice, wonderful little book that you can stick uh, in your pocket or you can keep in your purse or you can keep close to you. Just a list of things that you want to pray for. And there's, there's nothing wrong with taking that list out and going, God, I pray for, I pray for Paul and Cherry and Paul and Cherry. and that's, I covered you all twice there. I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, just pray your prayer. If you want to just call their name out before God, God is listening to you. You don't have to do it in King James. You don't have to do it in flowing words. You don't have to do it. You don't have to pace. I, I pace. You know why I pace when I pray? I pace when I pray because if I get still, my mind might go somewhere else. Or I might go to sleep. Have you ever seen, by the way, have you ever seen those Jewish people that go to the Wailing Wall and they pray like this? You ever seen them do that? You know why they do that? To stay awake. They, they do that so they can stay focused. So they don't get still and go to sleep. That's the truth. That's why they do it. It's practical. Then there's always the thing about, how about just making prayer? How about praying more by having private prayer? <laughs> because a lot of people's prayer, most of their praying is public. That means like the blessing over the food or when they're called upon in church. Really, I promise you, there are some people that unless they're called upon to pray in a group, never pray. How about just having some private prayer time? Maybe that's not an emergency. Emergency prayer is okay. But even just regular days, try it. Pray more. Pray more. If Kingwood Church prayed more, incredible things would be happening that we didn't even know we were praying for. Pray more. Those of you who, who pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit more. Let me tell you what is, to me, the best God in the world. The book of Psalms. Have you noticed that the book of Psalms is not all uh, Psalms like, Oh Lord, Thou art great and wonderful, and Thou hast done great things. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. All that stuff. Sometimes the Psalms say things like, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have called out and there is no answer. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I have called out to your name and there is no answer. You will not come and rescue me. Oh, God, why are you so far from me? That is a prayer, and God hears it. But instead, what we tend to do is when we have feelings like that, that God has abandoned us, we don't go to God and tell him those things. We go to other people and tell them. We go to our friends, or even more than that, our, the people who don't need to hear that. We go to them and go, I don't know why God has abandoned me. We say it on Facebook. Oh, brilliant. Just brilliant. By the way, that is, that is a really brilliant thing is to write on Facebook, 
I hate life today and there is no God. Listen, it is okay to feel that sometimes, but tell God, not the world. Come on. And oftentimes we go to other people to tell them those things because we want them to try to give us a reason to have faith again. Go to God with it. It's okay to do that. It is all right. Have you read the Psalms? There was one Psalm that, that David was praying. He goes, God, dash their little babies against stones and kill them. And you're going, are you serious? Let me tell you what. He didn't do that. He didn't go dash any babies against stones. But he told God about it, and God was able to change his heart because he was honest with God. I promise you, God will never get mad if you talk to him. It doesn't even matter what you say. What happens is when we ignore him is when things go, go bad. I promise you, apathy is a lot worse than anything else. Pray more. Pray more. Pray more. I better hurry. Oh, wait. Here's a quote. This is a cool quote. Jeremy, I figured you would like this quote. This is, there's a guy named Dan Hayes, and he wrote this, and I thought this actually makes a lot of sense. He said, all I know is when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't happen. <laughs> That's the truth. Okay, number three. Some of you are going to agree with this. Stop trying to change people. In 2014, stop trying to change people. I have an a, a uncle, Uncle Billy Jenkins, and Billy's, um, he's way on up there in his, in his late 80s, and just a couple of years ago, whatever, we were at some family gathering, and he's, he's a really great guy, and I said, Billy, how old are you? And he told me, and, he said, and I said, have you learned anything in those 84 years? And he said, you know, Mark, if there's one thing I wish I'd have known before now, Stop trying to change people. Now, he had three children, uh, two of which ended up in drug rehab programs. And he said, I tried to change them all my life. I tried to change them. I tried to do everything I could do to change them. And I found out I can't change them. He said, I can't change them. I guess I have to put them in God's hands because I can't change them. I can love them. And he said, and I think I had a harder time loving them than trying to change them. You can't change people, so stop trying. I want you to know, Jesus, in his ministry, he didn't treat everybody like the rich young ruler. You know, the rich young ruler, he said, go sell everything you've got, give it to poor people, and come and follow me. He didn't say that to everybody. He said that to the rich young ruler at the time the rich young ruler needed to hear it. When he met Nicodemus, he didn't say to everybody, you must be born again. He said that to Nicodemus. At the time, Nicodemus needed to hear it. There's a whole lot more about God's timing than about our ability to change people. Because that's true. We can, we can talk ourselves crazy and it won't change people. Here's why. And the scripture tells it. I'm going to give you three verses that prove my point. Here we go. John 3, 3. Verily I, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Folks, unless there's a change on the inside, people don't change. You got it? Unless there's a change on the inside, people don't change. If they change on the outside, it won't last long, and you'll get frustrated and mad. 
Proverbs 26, 11, As a dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. So if a person doesn't change and they change only on the outside, they will go back to their vomit. <laughs> they will go back and repeat the same thing over and over. And you can't stop that cycle yourself. Acts 1-7. It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father is set by his own authority. I'm telling you, timing is in the Lord's hands. Timing is in God's hands. Now, God, is, God loves to change people's minds, but he has to change their heart first before the mind thing will work. I, I, I really believe that. And I used to think that I had the power to change people. I did. I used to think that I had the gift and the personality that I could get involved in somebody's life and I could make a great change in their life. And it is wrong. I can't do it. Can't do it. Never could. And it frustrated me and embarrassed me. Now, does that mean we stop trying to help people? No, not at all. Does that mean we don't tell what we think? No. I think the problem is we sometimes try to bear down on people so hard that we try to change it. We just can't do it. Stop trying. What does that take me to? That takes me to number two, pray more. It's true. So, so if I can't change people, what I do? Pray more. And be an aggressive forgiver. You be an aggressive forgiver and pray more, I guarantee you more people will change that you connect with. That's true. I'm trying to tell you the truth. <clears throat> that didn't take long to do that one. But it really is true. Number four, seek advice only from wise people. That to me is a really big deal. Ecclesiastes 7, 5. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise man than listen to the song of fools. Um, a guy named Tom Hopkins wrote this. I never take advice from anyone more messed up than I am. You know what? It, it, isn't it amazing? I, you can sometimes, you'll have people who, who go to work and maybe they're having marriage problems, and they tell their, the people at work, I don't know what to do about my marriage. And the people they tell are the people that have failed marriages. And they ask what they should do. And usually it's divorce them. It, it's amazing how Hollywood stars become advice givers. What? These, these people with unbelievable problems suddenly because they are celebrities have the ability to give advice you know I, I really worry about the view of the view don't you I'm not sure I, I want their view you know I, I, I was caught by that in Ecclesiastes 7 5 it is better to heed the rebuke of a wise man than listen to the song of fools. I started thinking about the song of fools. How many songs are foolish? And I just started thinking of, now obviously I'm not going to pick any that have been famous in the last 10 years because I don't know them. But those of you who are my age and maybe a little younger and a lot older might recognize some of these. I started thinking about it. There was a song real big 
big famous song. Too late, baby, now it's too late. Though we really did try to make it. Something inside has died and I can't hide and I just can't fake it. We're going, oh, yeah, that's how people feel. They had this squabble in their home and they start singing, too late, baby. And they're out, buddy. They are out. Why? Because something inside's died and I got to get away from it. I thought, what a dumb song. What a dumb song. How about this one? You remember Whitney Houston's famous one, I'll Always Love You? You know what? I know Dolly Parton wrote that song, but in the movie, it was about a woman who was having an affair, and she's telling the person she had an affair with, I'll always love you no matter what. I'm going to go back to my old husband, but I'll always love you. And there are people, I'm sure they, they, they karaoke in the, in the bathroom to the mirror singing that song. It's a song of a fool. So it reminds me of that old song, 70s song, Torn Between Two Lovers, Feeling Like a Fool. Honestly, I think people go look for songs to go, hey, I think I'm going to agree with this person. And they live their lives by it. Now, I know, here's my favorite one of all. I, I did a funeral one time, and they played Free Bird at the funeral. <laughs> now, I know Free Bird Freebird Freebird is not a good uh, it's not a good thing. It's Freebird leaving somebody and doing as many drugs as possible. But somehow it turned into now now that they're dead, they're free, bird. <laughs> it's amazing how the songs of fools get into our souls. Look, seek advice from wise people. I remember as a youth pastor, there's one thing, one thing I learned as a youth pastor is to go ask advice from Kenneth Standifer. Kenneth Standifer is one of the greatest, wisest men that I knew. And I would go ask advice from him. He, he had turnip greens that he would plant, and he would invite me to, we love turnip greens, and he, we would pick turnip greens. And I would go out there, and even if I didn't want any turnip greens, I'd go out there, and we'd walk amongst them, and we would talk. And he gave me incredible advice. And I trusted his advice because he had lived it. He had actually lived it. Seek advice from wise people. I still like that quote. I never, he never take advice from anyone more messed up than I am. Okay, number five. This was my favorite. Live for your great-grandchildren. I really mean that. Let me explain how I mean that. I want to read to you some scriptures. Exodus 20, 5 and 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Bible says that the life of a father and a mother can be seen in their children. And the sins of the father and mother will affect the children. And it says to the third and fourth generation. It also says that righteousness in a family can affect a thousand generations. Now, I want to tell you, when I say live for your great-grandchildren... 
it's, it's easy for parents to live for their children. And it feels good to live for your grandchildren because you get to see them and they crawl up in your lap and kiss on you and love on you and stuff. But great-grandchildren, rarely do people get to see great-grandchildren. And great-great-grandchildren, they never get to see them, so why worry about them? Well, here's why. Because every decision I make right now, Mark Sims, in 2013, about to be 2014, is going to show up somewhere in the life of my great-grandchildren and beyond. So if I live for them, then I'm going to make decisions today that I don't want to put a curse on my great-grandchildren. I don't want, and some of those things are practical. Some of them are financial or some of them are, um, are moral. But some of them are just righteousness versus ungodliness. You know, I, 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 am, I, I love Ancestry.com. I like doing the genealogy thing. And um, I am amazed at Peggy, my wife's family. The first Skinners, she was Peggy Skinner, the first Skinners that showed up on American soil in 1730-something, William Skinner, he was a preacher. And did you know every generation until her father, who's a missionary, has been full of preachers? Now, I know that there have been some Skinners that have been a mess. But I want to tell you something. I know some of them, but I want to tell you something. <laughs> I want to tell you, that is an incredible legacy. That is incredible. I am the very first Sims preacher in the Sims family. In, in my set of Sims, Jeremy. <laughs> you may be as well. Your dad may be as well. I, I know that we had a great legacy of moonshine. Moonshine alcoholism and but my grandfather turned that around and I am his grandchild and I have children and grandchildren and my grandchildren are still blessed by what my grandfather did in 1910 live for your great grandchildren it's not all about you it's not all about you Hezekiah the king, uh, he asked God for 20 more years of life. And God, uh, he was supposed to die. And the prophet told him he's going to die. And he begged God for it. And he said, okay, give me 20 more years. Awful 20 years. Awful 20 years. He, he did all kind of terrible things in those 20 years. And the prophet came and said, because of what you've done, your son is going to lose the kingdom. And Hezekiah said, well, at least it won't happen while I'm alive. Boy, what a dad. One of my favorite stories in the scripture, Jeremiah 35. We're not going to go there, but if you want to read this, there's, there's, a, there's these people, they're called the Rechabites, the sons of Rechab, the Rechabites. And God made a promise to this guy named Rechab and said, I'm going to ask you to have this kind of commitment. There were three things he asked of them. Uh, one was don't drink wine. The other one was uh, uh, don't build, don't build a, a large house, live in in uh, transportable housing <laughs> tents. And the other one, I forgot the other one. Anyway, there were three of them. And he asked him to keep these, keep these. And he said, if you do, there will never cease to be one of your sons who serves the Lord. Well, in Jeremiah 35, it had been several generations, and they were still serving the Lord. I'm telling you, 
somewhere over in the Middle East or somewhere is somebody who doesn't know it, but they're related to Rakab family and they're still serving the Lord. I want to tell you, live for your great-grandchildren. Make decisions that aren't based on what you want. You know what that will stop? That will stop a lot of people becoming unfaithful to their spouse or sneaking around and causing problems when they start thinking, what if my great-grandchild has to deal with this because I did it? I'm telling you, it's a big deal. Generational sins are very real. Stop them in your time because you're living for someone other than yourself. Uh, Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. I think that's not just money. Now, uh, there is a, there's a psalm. I want to read this psalm. Psalm 78, verse 1 through 7. This is incredible. I think they're going to be able to put that up. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things of old, things our ancestors told us. Listen to this. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, look at this, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. God has established that that's what you do. You live for the next generation's. The righteous life you live will bless the next generation. And the ungodliness you live will also be passed on. I challenge you this year to think about that. Well, I've given you five. I've given you five things that would be my best advice for 2014. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and stand at the front, if you will. And musicians, if you'd come, just you can just play something if we need to. I'm, I just want to make it, I, I want to have an opportunity for any of you who might need to come and even pray about any of the things we talked about. Perhaps there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe there's this prayer issue that hangs over you. Maybe you want to give somebody to God and quit trying to change them. Maybe you need God's advice and you're going to go instead and seek advice from wise people. And maybe, just maybe, you need to learn to live for your great-grandchildren. I don't know, maybe God's moving on your heart about something. If there's any of these today that God spoke to you about, would everyone stand? If there's anyone that God spoke to, these... These guys at the front are just going to take a minute just to pray with you. Father, I ask you, reach down and just tug on our hearts. Just tug on our hearts now, Lord. And let us make things right today in Jesus.